What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. I'm your host, Andrew Neuer, coming at you on a Thursday morning on May 19th. That's a sweet sound of a pineapple coconut seltzer from Funky Bruda. Hey, it might be the morning, but it's 5 o'clock summer, right? Let me know what you're drinking in the comments section below. We have a lot to talk about, so let's talk some Minnesota sports. Today's episode is brought to you by Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty. The real estate economy right now is crazy, and it's the perfect time to sell your house. Whether you're looking to sell, invest in real estate, or find your next dream home, then Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty is your guy. Eric is committed to bringing you an experience that goes beyond just buying or selling a home. If that sounds like you, give Eric Molsather a call at 651-357-6528 or email him at eric.molsather at cbrealty.com. That's eric with a K dot M-O-L-S-A-T-H-E-R at cbrealty.com. And tell him Andrew sent you. All right, let's begin things by talking about the Minnesota Twins. Since the Wolves and the Vikings are in their offseason, I'll be talking more about the Minnesota Twins. So hopefully you guys like baseball, but hey, they're winning. They're doing well. They're currently 22-16, and 16, and they hold a three-and-a-half game lead on the Chicago White Sox in the AL Central. I've kind of been going over these standings watching. It's, a, it's still very early, but it's fun to standings watch, especially when your team's winning. Uh, it looks like what whoever's going to make that wild card slot is going to be a team that wins upwards of 90 games. I mean, if you just look at it, the AL East, the Yankees are rolling. They're 28 and 9. You got the Tampa Bay Rays are 23 and 15. The Blue Jays are 20 and 18. They're sure to be, they're going to be a lot better. There's only a matter of time before they start getting hot again. The Boston Red Sox are 15 and 22. I kind of like it. It's kind of funny. I hate Boston sports. So anytime seeing them struggle, it's a lot of fun. As for the AL Central, I mean, you kind of expect the Chicago White Sox to turn around. They're eighteen and nineteen. They're gonna they're still injured, so I mean, once they get healthy, you're expecting them to win eighty to ninety games as well. And then you got the AL West, and you have the surprise of the not the surprise the the Anaheim Angels are a team that is loaded. They just haven't quite figured out how to win ball games yet. But they're 24 and 16, and the Astros are leading the AL West at 24 and 14. So you're looking at it. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So seven teams that are going to be winning multiple ball games. Minnesota obviously will have to keep rolling. They're going to have to stay healthy. They're going to have to get the contribute contributions from the young players. But this is going to be a really stacked AL. AL, uh, blanking on my word, but it's going to be really strong AL. You're going to have to win a lot of ball games if you want to make the playoffs or even the wild card. Uh, so let's just kind of dive into some of the stuff that I wanted to talk about, though. I really wanted to start out by talking about Byron Buxton. I tweeted out the other day of why I do not care that Byron Buxton doesn't play every single game. And it's quite simple. If you play him every single day, you're going to see him get injured sooner rather than later. If you just look at every single year, we're going to disclude the 2015 season because he was a rookie. He didn't show up till I believe it was June. Had a stretch where he didn't play there. I'd, if I'm sure if I really dug into it, he was just sent down. He wasn't playing well his rookie year. 2016, he played 92 games. and 2017, he played 140. So that's kind of the weird outlier, but that's obviously 
the hope one day if he can hit 140 again. In 2018, he played 28. In 2019, he played 87. 2020, he played 39. And then 2021, I don't, let's just not count it. It's a shortened season, but he did play 61 games, so that's not that bad. Logically, though, if you're looking at it, it's, wait, was 2020 the shortened season? Sorry, guys, one second. Should I double check that before? 2020 was a shortened season where he played 39 games, and 2021 was 61 games, and it was not a shortened season. So my bad on that. 2020, he played 39 of the 60 games, so really not that bad. 2021, obviously 61 of 162 is not good. He was banged up a lot last year, but it just comes down to it as logically, if the Twins continue to push him every day, he's going to get injured. And if you rest him, let's just say you play, he plays two games and he rests on the third, or he plays DH on the fourth game. You're going to maximize his ability to play longer into the season, which is ideally the best possible scenario. The longer he plays, the better the Twins are going to be. So if you think about it, like, why would you play him every day if that means you're only going to get 30, 40 games out of him? If you could get 100, why would you not try that? And it's not like in the past where I I love JK. If he gives 110%, I have nothing bad to say about him. Obviously, you can't expect him to be Byron Buxton. Not many players are. But Jake Cave is not is not really the ideal center fielder or your backup center fielder, especially when Byron Buxton misses more than half the season. It's different this year. Hilberto Celestino has been playing a lot of center with Byron Buxton playing DH, with him playing, with, with him missing a couple, not a couple, a lot of games. But Hilberto Celestino's batting over 300. He's playing great defense. He's been phenomenal. It's not like Jake Cave. But even if Hilberto Celestino is getting the day off or he's playing right because Max Cupper needs the day off, you still have Nick Gordon who's been playing really great defense too. Or even Max Kepler can play center. The Twins have options in center field and you could ideally look at it and say like they have three legit center fielders and maybe you trade one for a reliever. Maybe you trade one for a starter. I mean, maybe I'm talking about Nick Gordon mostly. If we were to get in the trade scenarios, I don't think Hilberto Celestino or Byron Buxton would be on the table. Nick Gordon of those three would be the most likely. I don't see them doing it right now, but he has been playing great and it's been... So that's where it comes down to. Byron Buxton does not need to play every single day because he can play every single day. If you play him every day, he'll miss a lot of games. But if you have him rest, you have quality backup options in Celestino, Nick Gordon, Max Kepler. So it's just kind of silly to believe that he can't if you just think that he should be playing every single day. It's just not, it just won't happen and it's not going to work. Let's talk about Royce Lewis. Unfortunately, Royce Lewis was sent back to AAA because Carlos Correa is back. It's kind of hard to be upset just because you're getting Carlos Correa, who is a platinum glove winner and uh, MVP caliber player. But let's talk about like how good Royce Lewis was. I mean, it was essentially like Carlos Correa went on the lineup and they plugged in Royce Lewis. And you can make the case that Royce Lewis outplayed Carlos Correa so far. I mean, Carlos Correa had a cold start to the season. He's playing a lot better now. But in 39 games, no, sorry, in 39 at-bats, 11 games, he was hitting 308 with two home runs and five RBIs. He also had an on-base percentage of 325, a slugging percentage of 325, and an OPS of 889. In 11 games, 
Royce Lewis had a hit in every single one of them except for two. And one of those games was against Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander, the guy who's probably the front runner to win Cy Young, the Cy Young Award. Like you're talking about a guy who's missed two years of baseball, is coming back and is hitting 308, and he's had a hit in almost every single game. Sending him down was wrong, but at the same time, you can make the argument and see why that is supposed to happen. There's just not really a place for him. And I talked about this a while back on my podcast about why I believe that of the two who gets sent down first, that it would be Royce Lewis and not Jose Miranda. And it has nothing to do with play. Royce Lewis has been a hundred times better than Jose Miranda has both defensively and offensively. The problem is Jose Miranda plays third first and he can play some DH. Obviously those are, you could argue that third and first are maybe catcher too. I mean, they're getting some production from Gary Sanchez and Ryan Jeffers, not like top of the line, like they're not getting top of the line from those two guys from Jeffers or Sanchez. But if you're just excluding catching, Third and first have been the Twins, probably the worst two positions. Gio Urshela has been good. He's not been great. Alex Kirilov has been bad. Miguel Sano has been bad. Luis Arise has played great at first base. But the Twins need a first baseman. They need some help at third. And that's why Jose Miranda is still here. Jose Miranda plays the two positions the Twins need the most. It has nothing to do with Royce Lewis's production. If anything, you can make the argument and say that Royce Lewis made such, he almost outseeded expectations. I think we all knew he's good, but no one expected him to hit 308 and he's getting hit every single day. He's playing phenomenal defense. Like he was playing at such an elite level and it was so fun to see. But sending him back to AAA is not such a bad thing either. Obviously, you have Carlos Correa plugging into shortstop, but. On the flip side, Royce Lewis gets to play every single day. He gets to play, and their plan now in AAA is to play him in multiple positions, I think specifically because they know how great he is and they need to figure out how to get him on the field every single day. I mean, imagine an ideal scenario where Royce Lewis, Carlos Correa, and Byron Buxton are three guys that are playing elite defense and and hitting 300 at the plate. I mean, that's a three-headed monster. So their plan is right now to play him in multiple positions. I'm sure they're going to try him at third. I doubt they tried at first. Maybe they will, but to me, it kind of just seems like a waste to put an elite first baseman. I mean, elite defender at first base with his kind of athleticism. You'd ideally like that on third base, shortstop, maybe second, but second's also kind of a less than an ideal position for him as well. Maybe they try him at left. Trevor Larnick has been great, though. I think they try him at third. They'll give him some reps at short. They'll try him at left, maybe right field, but he can play center. He He's a shortstop and center fielder. So I could see them trying for the corner outfielders and then trying it at third and short as well. So it'll be interesting to see. I'll be tracking it. Obviously, I would do the minor league report. I enter the stats in every single day. It'll be fun to see where they play him and kind of how he performs and looks. And... Maybe you could try the Royce Lewis treatment of doing the whole uh, Luis Arise and Nick Gordon treatment where they're kind of your utility players. They play almost every day. They play multiple positions. But at the end of the day, you kind of want to see 
really stick to one place or just have them batting every single day, not playing four out of the six games of the week or playing three out of the six games of the week or whatever. As for Carlos Correa, we know he's an elite talent. He's a platinum glove winner. He's an elite offensive option as well. I mean, he came back the other day. What was he? Two for five? I can't remember. The whole lineup was raking except for Buxton. But Carlos Correa, before this game, when he was at it, and I think so, I saw a tweet. I can't remember who it was, but it is kind of a good point that I think because Carlos Correa was reinstated yesterday, that ESPN pushed forward an article. Almost because you're going to be like searching Carlos Correa coming off the IL. And then all of a sudden this new article pops up. Carlos Correa, there's an industry assumption that he wants to opt out or that he will opt out. So what I'm trying to get at is there was a report yesterday that from ESPN reported by Buster Olney that there is a, in quotation marks, an industry assumption that Carlos Correa will opt out of his deal. Sure. I tweeted about this as well. Yeah, he can opt out, and he may want to opt out because he wants to sign a long-term deal. But why is the industry assumption that he's just going to magically leave Minnesota? I mean, obviously, the national media would love it if Carlos Correa left Minnesota. That would that would be terrific for them. They, they hate small market teams. That'd be awesome if he went to L.A., if he went to New York, or he went to, I don't know, San Francisco. Like, Carlos Correa has made it very clear that he loves Minnesota. He loves his teammates. He loves playing with Byron Buxton. And he even made a comment that he knows that there's opt-outs, but he didn't want that to be a thing where we're looking at and going, well, he has opt-outs. He's going to leave. He can opt out, but he could also sign long-term. He's made it very clear that he wants to re-sign here long-term. He says he loves it. He said his family loves it here. So I think we should just kind of drop this whole nonsense. And I'm not going to really put into the keyword literally in the thing was assumption. I'm not going to assume anything. Carlos Correa has said nothing or uh, his actions have suggested nothing else that he's going to resign here. But at the end of the day, though, the Twins are 22 and 16. They're winning. They're playing well. And it's been fun to see the young guys step up. But let's move over and talk about the Minnesota Vikings. Not a whole lot to talk about because the draft just happened a couple weeks ago. I did a podcast with my neighbor uh, talking about that. But the schedule did release a couple uh, couple days ago, so I just kind of wanted to go over some wins and losses. We all do that after a schedule looks, and obviously whatever we say is going to be wrong because we see the team, we're like, well, that team sucks. That's a win. You're either going to win, like, there's going to be a couple surprise losses in there. There's going to be a couple surprise wins. That's just how it happens. But let's go over the schedule. Week one, love it. They're starting out against Green Bay at home. I don't see that game... If they're going to win one, it's going to be. Yeah, OK, they're going to take one at least from Green Bay. They don't have the same team as last year. I mean, I know Aaron Rodgers is still there, but the Minnesota Vikings played the Packers well. So I think they take that one at home. That puts them to 1-0, and start the season out strong. Then you have a Monday night game against the Philadelphia Eagles. That's a W. The NFC East teams, they don't scare me worth a bit. I do think that the Cowboys will beat them later in the season. I'll get to that. But the Eagles, they're not really that. I don't really. I'm not stressing about them a whole lot. Then you got the Detroit Lions. That's another W. They were 3-0 now. I just, Detroit is getting better for sure. They got Aiden Hutchinson in the draft. And they got, 
Oh, he's going to be out from most of the season, the wide receiver from Jameson Williams. Uh, so that's going to be another win. That's 3-0. That's a noon game. And then you go to week four. Uh, that's going to be an 8.30 a.m. start, which is gross. I do not want to watch football at 8.30 in the morning. They are playing the New Orleans Saints. That's a tricky one. That's going to be the one in London. I don't know how do I feel about picking this game. They could be either really good. They could be really bad. I mean, does Drew Brees return? If Drew Brees returns, I think that's for sure. Maybe now, even though he hasn't played in a year, it's just hard to kind of look at that and say. For this game, because they started out 3-0, I don't want to keep going into before the bye week in week seven, say we're 6-0. So we'll give it a loss. The Vikings are now 3-1 on the season here. And they go on to Chicago. The reason they do not have a bye week after the New Orleans Saints game in London, usually teams that go to London usually have a bye after, but Minnesota uh, sent into the league and said that they didn't want to have a bye that early in the season, which makes complete sense. Now that it's an 18-week season, there's no need to have a bye week in week five, where it's going to be October and you're still going another two, three months. So Minnesota right now is 3-1. They go to Chicago. That's going to be a W. Chicago sucks. They do not scare me one bit. 4-1. Then you go to Miami. I mean, maybe I, I'm i picking that one to win, too. I Miami still doesn't scare me. I have to see it before I believe it type of a thing. So heading into the bye week, the Minnesota Vikings are 5-1. and one. They're rolling. They're going to be at the top of every power ranking. But then week eight, you got a strong one against the Arizona Cardinals. I'll take that one as a loss. I don't want to make it look like I'm too big of a homer here. I could easily see it being a win. We saw what the Vikings did last year against the Arizona Cardinals. Obviously, that was a crushing defeat with the field goal at the end of the game. But maybe that could be a win just because Kyler Murray plays off it like he plays out of his mind those first couple weeks. And then because he's smaller, he gets hurt and you start to see the decline in the play. That's why the Cardinals started out. What was it? Eight and oh, seven or whatever it was. And then they slowly, slowly, slowly started to like just crumble. So by week eight, maybe Kyler Murray's not playing well. So right now we'll put that at six and two. Then they go on to play the Washington commanders. Carson Wentz is quarterback. Come on guys. It's seven and two. That's a win. Then you go on to play the Buffalo Bills in week 10, and they're just too they're too damn good. I'm not going to sit here and expect to win. That puts them at... Oh, man. I'm going to do the record after. I'll tally it up. Buffalo, that's going to be a loss. Then you play the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, I'll give that one a loss as well. This is kind of a tough three-week schedule here. So I think Dallas, you lose that game. They kind of... They outplayed the shit out of Minnesota on that uh, Halloween night on, what was that, Sunday Night Football? I was at that game. That was with, uh, who was quarterback? Cooper Rush. That was brutal. I think Dallas wins that game. Then you go on to play the New England Patriots on Thanksgiving. Even though it's a second-year quarterback, the New England Patriots just always find a way. Bill Belichick is the head coach, and for as long as he's the head coach, the New England Patriots will always be good. It's just how it is. They just always seem to pick the right guys. They always find the right players. Minnesota's probably losing that game. And although I gave the Jets one of the best one of the best NFL drafts, I still don't think they're winning that game. I don't think they're going to be good this year. So I think Minnesota wins that game. Then you go on to Detroit. They pick up that win. And then you go to Indianapolis. That game is still to be determined on the time, but it is a Sunday game. I don't 
think Minnesota beats the Indianapolis Colts. They're just a really good team. Then you play the New York Giants. I think you beat them too. The Giants are not good. What did they finish with the fifth, fourth, sixth worst record in the NFL last year? I don't ideally. I don't see them making that big of a jump where Minnesota loses that game. So I think Minnesota beats the Giants. Then you go on a Green Bay on New Year's Day. It's going to be a cold one. I think Minnesota loses that one. You already picked up one at home. They're going to lose the one on the road. That's totally fine. A one and one split against the Packers. You'd love to go two and zero, but you can't be too greedy. Then you round out the season against the Chicago Bears in Week 18, and that's another W. As I said before, Chicago does not scare me one bit. So if you tally that up, you go one and zero, two and zero, three and zero, three and one, four and one, five and one, six no five and two. Sorry, five and two, six and two, six and three, six and four, six and five, seven and five, eight and five, eight and six, nine and six. Nine and seven, ten and seven. So ten and seven. I don't know why the math started telling up. Really struggled there, but ten and seven. Not a bad, not a bad season at all. That should be enough to make the playoffs. If you didn't notice though, when I was talking about it, I don't know if I emphasized it as well as I should have. The Vikings only have two primetime games right now. Obviously, stuff can get moved around later on the season and stuff if they're playing well. And it's a huge matchup. But the two primetime games is against the Philadelphia Eagles. And that game is a Monday night game at 7.30. And although you think of Monday night football and ESPN, this one is actually going to be on ABC. And that's on September 19th. And then you have, as I said before, the New England Patriots against the... No, sorry, against the New England Patriots on Thanksgiving. That's a 7.20 start on NBC. And then you have the London game in week four against the New Orleans Saints. That one is at 8.30 a.m. on the NFL Network. I uh, wanted to talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves there briefly. Mark Laurie and A-Rod are going to be swinging for the fences, and I think we should start to get used to this. This is not Glenn Taylor. They're, A-Rod and Mark Laurie's MO is to swing big. They're going to take risky moves. They're going to take. They're going to go big game hunting like Darren Wilson was talking about in his pod on the Scoop podcast. The dynamic of the Timberwolves is going to change. It's not going to be your cookie cutter. We love each other. We're going to take everything. Non, We're not going to take any risky moves. That's just why the Timberwolves were never really good. Obviously, having really bad draft picks is not a good thing. But if Glenn Taylor was a little more aggressive and made a little more moves, I think we would see a little bit of a different maybe approach, maybe some different results. And we've already kind of seen this with Dave Benz. Obviously, it was it was awful to see him go. He was, I mean, I grew up listening to Dave Benz, and obviously, Bally Sports—they're a shit company, but they played a role in Dave Benz going. But also, A. Rod and Lori definitely had a helping hand in this whole thing, and I don't think it should be out of the question that we're going to assume that maybe they're going to bring in a guy from like ESPN or some sort of big status name that Minnesota, they want to put Minnesota on the map and maybe by getting rid of Dave Benz, they can put in, they can hire this, not Kevin Harlan, but a ESPN like reporter that gives national wave, like a 
if you if you kind of understand what I'm trying to say, like they're gonna go for a guy that's gonna put them on the map in a sense. And even though we're seeing this now with the president of basketball operations talk, Chris Finch advocated for Sachin Gupta to get a contract extension with the team. They work well together. Obviously, they're in sync. They're not like Chris Finch and uh, Chris, Chris Finch and Gerson Rosas or Gerson Rosas and Ryan Saunders. This is a very in sync duo. And personally, I think Sachin Gupta should get the extension. He he could have easily made a move to save his ass in at the at the NBA trade deadline when they needed something, but he didn't make that move to screw over the future of the team just so that he could have a job. Sachin Gupta is one of the most highly regarded people around the NBA. He's intelligent. He's very smart. And to have a guy like that is awesome. And I don't know if he'd take a a number two position with the team after being at the top of the food chain there with the Wolves. But as reported yesterday, the Timberwolves are in serious conversations with Tim Connolly. I don't see how it would happen. Uh, There was a tweet saying that I believe it was maybe from uh, Darren Wilson. I'll pull it up. But it was more of a scout saying that it's probably unlikely. Yeah, here it is from from Darren Wilson at, at D. Wilson KSTP. Tim Connolly and the Wolves Timberwolves buzz has been out there for a bit. Shams and John Krasinski have reporting the Wolves now in serious talks with them, but nothing imminent. One person very close to Connolly in quotations now says, I don't see it unless they give him $10 million per year and equity. And the equity he's talking about is ownership, more than likely. And if you listen to Darren Wilson's podcast recently, on the scoop podcast, he talked about that the wolves are going to be going for a big name, big game, going big game, hum, big game hunting for a president of basketball operations. But the only problem is that's going to cost the wolves a lot, whether that's a high salary draft picks, trading for someone trading for the president of basketball operations. Maybe you give them a sliver of ownership, but I don't know, like, I don't know how that dynamic works with Glenn Taylor still being the full owner, majority owner, and then A-Rod and Laurie. It's kind of, it'll be interesting to see how that gets worked out. But more than likely, if you look at this coming up list from Dane Moore of the Dane Moore podcast, you'll see why you're going to have to give up a lot for these kind of guys. So originally on the list, Dane Moore said that Pat Riley was on the list. And I think that's kind of funny because he's been with the Heat for how long now? There's just no way in hell that he's leaving Miami to come to Minnesota at this point in his career, the only way that would ever come to fruition is literally if they gave him, if they just threw the bag at him. Then you have Tim Connolly, who we just talked about, who is in serious conversations. Then you have Masai Ujiri with the Toronto Raptors. That would be a pipeline dream. If you got him, we should be throwing a parade. We should be putting up a banner. If you got Masai Ujiri, the Timberwolves are going to be winning the ring within the next three years. You can put that down on paper. Even put it in Sharpie. The other name was Daryl Morey, which I think is a terrible decision. Sure, he's been in the league for a long time. He's good at what he does, but he's too stubborn of a of a president of basketball operations. He just you saw how we dealt with the whole James Harden thing in Houston. You saw how we dealt it with in Philadelphia. It's 
he just wants he wants he finds certain players that he loves and he will hold out for it. So when he was with he when he was holding on to Ben Simmons, he kept saying, "I want James Harden." Well, now you got James Harden. Now you have to pay him forty six million a year. I think he lost that trade. Daryl Morey will just continue to run will run the Wolves into the ground. At this point in his career, he's not going to change who he is. It's kind of like Tom Thibodeau, great coach, but eventually he's going to wear you out. And there's a reason that he never works out. Then you have Bob Myers over at the Golden State Warriors and then Sam Presti. Sam Presti obviously is Sam Presti is elite. The guy racks up draft picks. He makes great moves. All these guys on the list are someone you've probably heard of, even if you barely pay attention to basketball. And if you're doing a draft, you could maybe make the argument and say that these are going to be the first five guys you pick. It's it'll be interesting to see where this thing goes, and I'll be kind of tracking and I'll be talking about it on the podcast moving forward. But I thought it was interesting that they're going out and trying to get Masai Ujiri, Bob Myers, Sam Presti, Tim Connolly, Pat Riley was a, was once on the list. It's just fun to watch, and we're going to be covering here at Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. But that does wrap up our ninth episode. Thank you all for listening. Cheers. Thank you.